episode of Miracle Soup with your host, Christoph Heinen. Very pleased to be introducing the guest for today's show, Trisha Eastman, who will be talking to us about Iboga and the sacred West African tradition of using this miraculous plant, what this amazing shrub can do for um, our healing and for the healing of um, the, the collective community. Um, we really get into some neat aspects of, um, I would say, the hope um, and, and the fact that there are actually resources, there are solutions in this world that God himself or herself has placed here for us um, to resolve the pain, to resolve the trauma, um, to, to help us integrate and, and live uh, the lives that we're really meant to live. Um, you know, that's one of the things I really got out of this, this talk with Trisha, that um, how amazing it is that there are plants like iboga, there are plants like ayahuasca, there's, you know, the, the toad medicine, there's, uh, there's cannabis, there, there's these plants here that are here to help us really, uh, when, we, when we use them with respect, uh, when, when we use them properly, they are here to, to help us, you know, get better from this sickness of egoic delusion and grasping and pushing away and resisting and, and just finding a, an equilibrium within our, within our souls so that we can really live this life to the fullest and to spread that um, treasure that lies within with, um, with the community on this planet. So without further ado, uh, let me present Trisha Eastman. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I am still working out this whole techie business. So in the very beginning, it's kind of splotchy. Um, I guess just the, the con internet connection was just con catching up or something. Also, uh, I mean, the sound quality, it's not terrible. It's not annoying to hear. Um, but yes, I understand that there is room for improvement. I just need to sort of dial in my equipment and that kind of thing. But back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Trisha Eastman. So much again for coming. Hi, so, so nice to be here. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Um, I heard you on the Maps podcast, and I don't want to like repeat that whole show, obviously, because I want to make it unique. But what I do want to know is, I'm really fascinated with your journey with Iboga, and I'm curious how you came to have that experience and that relationship with the plant, but specifically. Um, with regards to how it was that the shadow played in your life to sort of bring you to that that need for healing where you sought that out. So what was like the, the difficulty in your life that, that brought you to this like breakthrough? 
because your life looks so cool when I was looking at your website and everything, like you lead retreats and you administer medicine, you help people basically heal and awaken. And like, how did you get to do that? It's so amazing. Yeah, well, I am a recovering Western, westernized individual human. And, uh, you know, as a product of, of being in Western culture, I would say that I um, built a kind of very externally focused life. And um, part of that was developing an eating disorder. And uh, I finally got to a point in my life where I was sick kind of of dancing around it or putting band-aids on it. And I finally decided it was like, okay, I'm done drinking alcohol. I'm done running away from my problems because I had been doing a lot of healing work and studying healing for about five years before I came on the medicine path. And uh, it was it just felt like it was time for me to really just go into that as where I feel like my past. I will admit that I was a bit of a uh, spiritual bypasser. And so I um, decided that I needed to face this head on. And I started by, I read a book about ayahuasca and interrupt me if I'm going into the too long version of the story. No, please. I really, I just want you to to share your story. It's it's interesting. Okay, good. Uh, so uh, I I um, had felt the call to to work with with ayahuasca. I read a book, and this is like imagine here I am, you know, the typical muggle life, yeah. you know, picket fence owned multiple houses, you know, had businesses, entrepreneur, and uh, of course was unhappy. And as the story goes, the hero's journey begins. I uh, had really, really severe anxiety. And um, I hadn't really been a big drinker, but I started to drink to kind of mask the anxiety. But it kept getting worse and it kept getting worse. And um, got to a point where I had a, a, a breakdown um, in a important meeting. Actually, what happened was I, I'll just say the shorter version, I got a head injury um, the day before, but I wasn't aware of the severity of it. And I didn't realize that this head injury would actually impact my ability to perform in a really important meeting because I was this just crazy workaholic. Mm. And um, after I bombed in this meeting, which probably was one of the most important events in my life because, you know, feeling totally humiliated, I felt really um, inspired to find a solution. So um, I went to two different doctors, uh, uh, psychologists. One was a psychiatrist, one was a psychologist. One of them said, you're just like a breed of chihuahua. You know how chihuahuas have this personality, but they're kind of anxious and they shake. And I'm like, really? Does that mean I have to live with this for the rest of my life? Uh, That's crazy. I don't know if I can even do that and um, gave me a prescription for Xanax. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, anytime I had something important where I had the nerves start coming up and my gut start to feel tight, I'll just take a little like half of a Xanax or a whole Xanax and, and just uh, allow myself to uh, not have to feel that fear or that uncomfortableness. And um, that snowballed into getting worse and worse and worse until about a year and a half in after the injury, um, I came across MDMA again. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, when I was younger, I worked for a counterculture bookstore where we sold a lot of books like Ram Das, Alexander Shulgin, Taikal Faikal, um, Timothy Leary. And so I was really kind of immersed at a young age in that psychedelic uh, and rave culture. And we would throw rave parties. And um, I always ended up being the person that would hold space for other people. I had no idea that that actually meant something as far as like my future. Um, And so I started uh, taking MDMA again. And that actually helped me to start feeling free, to start feeling some love for myself instead of like beating myself up all the time. So would you take that in uh, like in at parties or in like intentional settings? Yeah, well, it's really funny because I was bullied really badly as a kid. And so I usually felt like being social was the way that you would do that. I'd be like, who takes drugs by themselves? Only Mm -hmm. losers that have no friends, you know? Yeah, and so I literally one time actually took the MDMA by myself just out of curiosity. And I actually got, um, went into a past life regression where I visited one of my past lives um, in in France and actually started speaking French, which I don't even know how to speak French. I swear though on the journey I was speaking French and it it was one of the strangest things. And I would say there was a whole series of those events that led me to to leave my my current husband and my life behind, including my four houses. So I literally got a very clear message from my soul through the MDMA that it was time to go. And I read this book, Plant Spirit Medicine um, by Pam Grout. And in the book, it talked about ayahuasca. It talked about every plant, you know, not just psychedelic ones or psychoactive or, you know, it talked about every kind of plant. And I'm looking at the ayahuasca and I'm like, I want to do this, but I don't know about how safe I feel going to like Peru or, you know, somewhere in South America, not knowing anybody, not have any connections. Like, what would you do? Just like show up, you know, it's illegal. How do I find somebody, you know, in the U.S. that would know about this? Um, so when I went through this awakening process and I left my husband, I went to Europe for four months and, uh, spent basically my entire savings to just kind of figure out my life. Uh And when I got, um, back, I got a really clear message that I needed to move to Los Angeles, which is where I live right now. And when I got that message, literally, I had no idea that I was going to hop off a plane and into a place called Cafe Gratitude in Venice and have the guy at the counter invite me to an ayahuasca Oh, my God, of course. (laughs) In the Hollywood Hills. And I'm like, what? I've been asking for it for so long. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, and and yeah, I feel like I moved to L.A. I met my tribe and just, you know, again, I'm sorry, this is such a long story. Um, 
I met uh, some friends and we all, um, you know, I would say that my tribe and uh, one of them worked at a center in Costa Rica that uh, worked with Iboga and he hadn't ever like offered me the opportunity, but I did, I was like, really feeling like, hmm, this, this is something I think could really help me. And eventually I got to microdose with Iboga, just oh, wow. a little bit. Uh-huh. And, I, and I knew then I was like, even though the microdose is nothing in comparison to what Iboga is, it was more about connecting to the spirit of the plant. And I was like, this is what I need. This is, this is my medicine. So I met a dear friend introduced me to Martin Polanco, who's head of Crossroads, which is an abogaine clinic in Mexico. And I just wanted to drill him with questions because, you know, he's a doctor who'd work with it. And of course, I had read a lot of things online. One in 300 people die from this, which is actually not true because it's a sample based on addiction uh, patients that typically tend to show up on death's doorstep and there's sometimes other complications. So Uh the statistics Uh of of safety for for Iboga are are actually much better. And yeah, and of course if it's something that works, they're gonna wanna, you know, bash it, right? Yeah, and and maybe that's it. I mean, I I'll tell you a funny joke. Um, you know, I never see dare commercials anymore. And so I made a joke that they actually pay people outside of the country to write scary arrowhead posts to scare people from doing drugs instead because they realize that would work better. So it's like the worst story ever of something that yeah. would make you like it's like all the salvia stories are like horrible. It's like, yeah. oh, my, never like a good story. And so you're like, oh, I never want to touch that, you know. So um, so anyway, so here we are. Um you know, talking about this medicine. And I said, well, what do you think about Iboga for food addiction? And he said, I don't know, let's give it a try. And he seriously treated me for free in Mexico. Oh my God. (laughs) And in my experience for the first time in my life, and keep in mind, I had been spending years in healing classes and workshops and just like how do you love yourself? It's not like, is it like giving yourself a hug? You did a good job, you know? Taking baths, eating chocolate, you know, how do you really love yourself? Like, I just wasn't that good at loving myself. I was way better at beating myself up. So finally on the medicine, I saw the entire universe, the entire singularity of life all coming to one point. And um, realized that all of that beauty was connected to me and that I was that. And not from an egoic space, like, oh, I'm God now kind of thing, but more of like that interconnection and like, how could I separate myself from that and, and, and treat myself that way when it's this wondrous, incredible gift to be alive. And so um, I bawled probably for like three hours in, in gratitude. I was just like 
thank you so much for this. I really just, I want to be of service to this medicine. I want other people who are suffering like me. And I saw it, like I saw the vision of all these people in addiction, all these people taking pills, all these. And I'm just like, this needs to be available. Why is this not available for more people? And so um, I told the medicine, I said, I'm in service to you. I want to, I want to support you. I really feel like this is the medicine you know, of all the medicines that's so clear, so direct, so deep um, of a reset. And it, it uh, within three weeks, the owner of the clinic, Martine, asked me to facilitate the psycho-spiritual program. Wow. So I literally was like, wait a second, I'm not a shaman. You know, I, I have experience in healing and Reiki and bioenergetic healing. And, and, you know, I guess, you know, some people would consider that shamanic. But um, as far as like being responsible for people and I and so I tuned in, I reconnected to the spirit of this Iboga and I was like, gosh, what do I do? And it was like, don't get so hung up on titles. Just feel in your heart what feels like the path for you. And, and of course, the path was like, yes, this is what I want to do. And keep in mind, I wasn't walking in that clinic handing people medicine. That would be really irresponsible. I was working with a team of people, qualified doctors who had many years background working with it and more supporting with holding the container and the space. So it really was, you know, it, it, it took many, many years of training before I was at a point where I could say, I feel totally clear and comfortable that I can take on that responsibility with this medicine because Iboga is no joke. It's yeah. the oh. most powerful medicine out there by far. So can it even come, can you even, okay, two questions is like, can you even compare it to ayahuasca or is it just so different that you can't really compare it? Or, or is it similar in, in terms of the intensity? Like I ima I'm imagining that Iboga is like, ayahuasca for much longer of a t period of time so if you look at it on a scientific level um you have the most diverse uh alkaloid profile of any plant and newer studies and papers have been published that state that there's maybe 30 different alkaloids uh, in iboga and the core alkaloid abogaine is the only molecule that cannot be synthesized. So you cannot even, so it also, I want to make note that this is an endangered plant. There's a finite supply. It's not like mushrooms where you can just grow it in a terrarium. It takes like seven to 10 years before you can even harvest medicine from the plant. And it's in this tiny little country off the coast, the, the west coast of Africa called Gabon. So this tiny little part of the world, and that's all of the Iboga to serve the entire mm. planet. Wow. Um, so this alkaloid, abogaine, when used in uh, the format of, a, of an opiate detox is used in very high concentration. And so in order to get that level of concentration, another plant was discovered from Africa called Valkanga. Vulcan, Some people call it Valkanja. I call it Valkanga Africana, you know, tomato, tomato. And um, this particular plant is one molecule off. Although if you were to take it in its raw form, it would be nothing 
like abogaine, it's very different. However, if you take that one, you know, whatever it is, oxygen, whatever, hydrogen or whatever it is, I can't remember, uh, off, it becomes abogaine. And so um, because that is a plentiful plant that is more sustainable, that is how over 90% of the current abogaine is being manufactured. And it's really interesting because I personally believe it's not iboga. Mm-hmm. And many people say, oh, well, I have visions of Africa and I have visions of pygmies. Well, Volcanja africana also comes from Africa, so that totally makes sense. But mm-hmm. I still think it's not iboga. Yeah, it's a different plant and you can't get around it. Right. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a totally different plan. And, and my one of my teachers uh, from Gabon um, would say Iboga isn't just Iboga. It's the ancestors, the ancestral lineage that it's connected to. It's the music and it's also the interaction with the jungle. So, for instance, there's the Akume tree and they use the Akume in uh, purification rituals. They make a torch and this torch is mixed with different sacred plants of Gabon, which are um, used for purification to help protect the person. And I'll just tell you, I have a couple of these torches. It's like sage on steroids. You can take some gnarly entities out with that thing. It's like energy. It's like, and it smells like frankincense. It has almost like a, a slight more piney smell to it. Um, anyway, the Akume tree is, is, a, is a brother, a friend of the Iboga. So them growing in the jungle together and being in conversation, just like, you know, there's the mycelial network of mushrooms mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Also, the elephant is really important to Iboga. He, mm-hmm. um, he or she, the elephant, pulls on the roots of the Iboga. A lot of the animals um, actually eat Iboga, although this is all based on the Bwiti folklore. I'm not gonna tell you that there's some scientific documentation. Right now I'm talking about what the Bwiti say. That's good enough. I trust them. (laughs) Yeah, the Bwiti say uh, that uh, the elephants pull on the roots and that makes the plant stronger, but they, they pull out the roots and they eat a little part of the root, but it helps the plant to, you know, grow its muscles and, Mm -hmm. and become more resilient. And then there's other animals within the jungle that that are interacting with with the plant that that make make it what it is. And so, um, you know, going and doing it in an abogaine clinic is very very different than working with uh, Ganga, which is a traditional uh, Bwiti healer, or a Nima, which is a more like a shaman. They're both considered shamans, but the Nima has uh, the ability to give initiations, which means they can initiate others on the path, which at you know some point in time, that person may want to be a Nima or a Ganga themselves. Then they would be the one that would ask the spirit of Iboga, is this person ready? And give the blessing for mm-hmm. them to do the work. Man, as you're as you're talking about the Bwiti, I'm just firing off so many questions in my head that I just need to focus on a few because, wow, I, I'm just so fascinated in that culture. But um, I really wanted to to ask you, what is it about the iboga experience that cures addiction? Like, like what is it? Where? How does it go in there? Like, what what is your take on how it actually unravels this this addiction in people? Well, there's two answers to that. 
The first answer, I'm going to give you more in our world matrix, uh, you know, science is that, you know, even Dr. Gabor Mate, who is a leader in, you know, his work around trauma, says that um, addiction is rooted in trauma. Mm. And so our subconscious mind, basically, when we're born from when we pop out the womb to age seven, we are basically forming our entire subconscious program, which is this operating system that just runs in the background. And um, I've read is responsible for 98% of all of the decisions that we make, whether we, we might think it's our mind making those decisions, but it's actually the subconscious mind making those decisions even before the mind has. And so what happens is you have a trauma that happens when you're really young that uh, affects your relationship with well, I mean, think of it this way. When we were in villages, when we lived in tribes many, many, uh, you know, years ago, uh, we um, had many different mirrors of what the masculine was, of what the feminine was. And because we were raised in community, that kind of buffered any trauma. But because we only have one example for masculine, one example for feminine, those two examples are basically your imprint for your subconscious programming. And then there's other things that, of course, affect the subconscious programming as well. And um, and then they just keep coming up over and over again. They create that suffering. And to me, it's like the gas in your car. Like the trauma isn't this horrible thing, but it's what initiates you on your path to find your purpose in life. So it is oh, nice. an important part it's the yin and the yang and so it is an important part of your journey um and so the other answer is um the alkaloids that are within the plant um work on nearly every neurotransmitter system in the body serotonin dopamine kappa um all of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spout every single one of them off, but um, basically when it's working on all of those systems, it's, it's resetting each one of them. And so that's why someone can show up at an Abigail clinic with a heroin needle in their arm yeah. and not have any cravings wow. for opiates after because it's a complete reset. And it's incredible, like, Working with it on a personal level, but also watching other people. My partner had Lyme disease for 15 years. This was the medicine that cured his Lyme disease. It took him like five solid sessions of like deep work, but it it repaired and healed his body. It's one of the most regenerative. There was actually a doctor at the Abogain conference in Tepotslan in 2017, and he did a study on Abogain where he took pictures of the energy field of the body. And what Abogain does is it completely oriboga, pulls the energy field inside. So you have to face your stuff. You can't 
run away from it. But it's also regenerating you at the same time. So this, this massive decalcification happens where every node of your body, all these different energy meridians that, you know, in um, Vedic culture they call nadis, these mm -hmm. different you know, points of, of energy are, are getting cleaned out. Um, and it's cleaning out toxins in the body. Also, it's killing parasites. Many, not all parasites get um, wiped out by iboga, but for instance, candida. It's one of the most powerful things for candida, which a lot of people struggle with. And there really aren't very many things except like really intense uh, uh, prescription medications that can yeah. you know, work at that level um, that it can. So once... You've, you've had the Iboga experience and you come into the clinic with a needle in your arm and, and it, it brings your aura in and, and you're able to resolve the trauma and, and, and heal that addiction. Does it last permanently or once you go back into your old lifestyle with your old habits, will it start to creep in again or what's your experience with that with people? So, you know, I'll speak from my personal experience because every time I went, I feel like this medicine, like if I was going to say it had, it has no dogma, it has no religion or anything connected to it, but I really feel like a, like a, a feeling of like Buddhism in that it's like balancing your karma. Mm -hmm. And so it's showing you where you're out of balance, where and what you need to do to maintain a certain level of balance to, and, and where you have polarity from everything from your language to your behaviors to um, self-care. And, you know, even like for me, it was showing me how the way that I sleep at night actually affects the energy flow in my body. So it was my choice after that if I wanted to continue to sleep on my side, because that's something that I like to do, but it was showing me that, that that's really important for me, for the energy flow. So I would say that um, afterwards you feel like everything, your vision, your senses, your taste, touch, smell are all super heightened. Um, you know, like I always tell people, if you had a cup of coffee every day, you might even try just doing a tiny bit of coffee, like one sixth of what you normally drink, and it would eat, probably have a stronger effect because of the sensitivity that it that it opens up. So um, it's sorry, I lost myself a little bit there. There's, I was getting going off on a, a tangent. Did I answer your question, or or I just want to make sure to center myself again? <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. It was. Uh, it, it was so. So you're saying that you you heard the question was um, do people kind of relapse after they go back in their old habits and what you're saying is that yeah. the the iboga or the spirits or the ancestors give you this information on how to remedy and how to change your life and then it's your choice you know so it's basically it, it's our choice whether we want to go back down those dark roads which we know where they go or if we want to ascend higher and cleaner and clearer. Yeah, and that's the thing that really we all have to be really clear on is that we have free will in mm -hmm. every moment and nothing can take away your free will. This plant is not going to say, you know, it can be there with you and it, and it is, I mean, it stays with you sometimes a few months after you still feel the spirit kind of like 
okay, this is the right path or kind of helping you along or kind of reminding you of things to help you stay on track. Um, but also there are things that do stay with you. So I would say like, you know, let's say that you integrated like half of the lessons from the medicine, then you might feel a little bit less of that connection where you feel less clear, but it, but you're still going to be way better than you were having, uh, not done it the first time. So it, it does, it does give you a cumulative result over time. And interestingly, like so many people have said, like weird habits that they had that weren't even part of their intentions just fall off. For me, I just had no desire to drink alcohol anymore. Like I just was like, alcohol, ugh. Like yeah. I, I, even when I drink it or if I smell it, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not a fan, although I do like kombucha. Um, <laughs> but Doesn't count. Hard, yeah, the, not the hard kombucha. But, um, you know, I would say that, like, I tend to have, like, more of an addictive patterns. Like, you know, some people joke about Scorpios, because uh, I'm a Scorpio, having, like, a more addictive personality. And so, yeah, I could turn chocolate into an addiction. I could turn, you know kombucha into an addiction uh but but I just felt like every time I worked with the medicine something would fall off like it would just be like oh you don't need coffee anymore okay I don't need that anymore wow. and I've had people say to me they used to bite their fingernails and then they just totally stopped biting their fingernails but there was just no no desire there whatsoever wow. And no effort to have to change this habit and force yourself, but it was just something that wasn't there anymore in the, the pattern of the mind. Well, that's incredible. Um, is it something that people want, to, people usually get like a one dose in their lifetime and they're done, or is it something they want to keep going back to for checkups or to keep going deeper and that kind of thing to follow that path? Well, I mean, there's a couple factors. One factor is that it is, um, it's expensive. It's expensive to get it. Um, and it's expensive to do the work because you need 24 seven care. You can't even get up and go to the bathroom on your, your own because you're, because it turns that whole, uh, sensory system inward. You just don't have your wits to be able to like, you're very wobbly. You're kind of like the junk drunk kid at the party and, um, someone has to walk you. And we, you know, for us, we always have a doctor on site with our retreats. And so, um, it's quite expensive to have people, constantly monitoring and you need to have about a two to one ratio. So for every two people, you have to have one support person who's trained, who mm -hmm. under, you know, who's been either initiated or had a lot of experience with the medicine. So it's expensive. So those that I think really um, are called to the work, I, I, I always believe that when something's for you, the energy will be provided. And I, I get the craziest stories where people are like, okay, it showed up, I'm in, you know, because that's how the universe works, you know, yeah. if it's really, you know, it's not about the amount, like the universe doesn't think in dollars, you know, it thinks in um, what's for you, what's right for you. And 
The other thing, um, as far as frequency is, people really do fall in love with this plant. They fall in love with the profound intelligence, the level of um, traction they can get in their life around their own growth and self-development. And they um, typically will spend three to six months, sometimes a year, uh, taking it off and then they they come back again and the people that are really committed will maybe do it every three months sometimes people do it twice a year but it's really when they're getting a lot from it because you know the level of trauma that we carry is is quite huge especially people who are on, on the higher spectrum of of you know having a lot of trauma and so it's like you know if they're working through something for instance my partner with Lyme disease then they're gonna keep coming back as we're someone who's like oh I really feel called to this but you know I'm pretty good in my life smooth pretty smooth sailing psycho spiritual more um you know they might do it one time or you know once a year just to kind of clean things up yeah Wow. Yeah. I, I really resonate with that. Like the amount of trauma. I just got into um, this work by a guy named Mark Woln and he he does work on um, um, inherited family trauma, you know, generational trauma. And he says that the things that your grandparents and your great grandparents might have experienced in a war or something is still totally alive and active in us and could be totally like dictating and controlling our life. And, and that makes me curious to ask you about the role of the ancestors in the Bwiti tradition and, and with this medicine. Because in this culture, it's like no one even talks about their ancestors or thinks about them. And in these African cultures, I know it's just like everything, their whole day is like in Zimbabwe. I, um, I'm a little bit involved with the Zimbabwe tradition in the Mbira um, it's a, it's a thumb piano and that whole culture is every song is for the ancestors and it's received from the ancestors and you do this for the ancestors and you keep the ancestors happy. And uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could, um, share a little bit about that. <laughs> That's a long way to ask a question, but. Yeah. So there's, there's again, two parts to that answer. The one part is, um, that, there are the ancestors of the tradition. For instance, uh, you know, within Bwiti, there's very many um, different branches. So the, the trunk of the tree is the Desumba branch. And then from there, there are many other branches all the way up into when um, Gabon was colonized and the Fang came. And the Fang is an adaptation of uh, actually Christianity with Bwiti. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, and it's very, it's actually one of the most, uh, it is the number one practice religion in Gabon is the, the Bwiti Fang, or, or they call it Fong because they're French. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and in, um, in the culture, uh, it's each lineage has its own ancestors and there's ritual that they do to work with those different ancestors. And there's different colors and different um, things that are used on the altar that are connection. And uh, for instance, um, in the Masoko tradition, in the, in the tradition Nagon Masoko, uh, when a uh, Nima is um, getting ready to pass on, he 
carries an altar that's been passed on many generations. And that altar um, is kept in a special room. And in that room, they go there and it's like their telephone to talk mm -hmm. to the ancestors. And there's very specific rules. You have to wear the right outfits when you go in there. If you're a woman and you're going in there, you cannot touch any of the sacred objects if you're on your moon. And even in some traditions, I don't want to make a mistake and, and explain it generally for all traditions, but um, some don't even allow a woman to go in the room if they are um, on their moon, and, and that's for different reasons. And in this room, there's this altar that's been passed down, and it's the telephone to the ancestors. And they go in there, and uh, they receive information so that they can receive direction and guidance. And they have very important meetings, and they call it, uh, it's a very well set up type of format uh, where they basically kind of catch up with each other. They take the news. And so, for instance, if there's a visitor from another village, then that's considered a blessing because it's very not very often that villages get visitors. And so when a visitor comes, usually it means that there's, that there's some good news coming to them. And so they would take a meeting in this room because they want to have whatever that is that's happening, have the blessings of the ancestors and also the guidance of the ancestors. And so I've been in that room before in um, different circumstances in different village villages, and it's a very powerful experience. And when the Nima who uh, is, uh, you know, the, the Nima of that village, he will decide, sometimes it's his next of kin, but not always, who is going to carry that altar in the future. And he will give a transmission of his power, which basically is he takes all of his shamanic power and he gives it to the next person so that they can become the next uh, Nima for the, for the village. That's amazing. I just, I just think these African traditions are, are just, they're, they're so underappreciated really in our culture. We just think of Africa as this war-torn continent, but there are these secret pockets of just the most high spiritual teachings. It's, it's incredible to me. Like in Zimbabwe, they have a similar thing where there's there's parts where you can't even wear anything Western, nothing plastic, no watches, anything. You go into this special sort of contained village where there's the oracle and, and you have to wear the certain clothes and everything. It sounds really similar. Yeah. And the Ambira too is a telephone to the spirits, to tele telephone to the ancestors. Yeah. Um, can you, can you talk about more of like, okay, did you listen to um, Hamilton Morris? Was that his name? Hamilton Morrison. He was on Joe Rogan and he's like the scientist and he talked about Iboga being good for like Parkinson's and obviously opioid addiction. But what else is it like good for besides addiction recovery? I mean, if you, I wouldn't even like, like saying this is like saying, giving limitation to one of the most powerful plants on the planet. Keep in mind that in the Bwiti tradition, they believe that this is the plant that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which in our culture is um, maybe considered a bad thing, but it's actually a tree of all the wisdom of how to understand what life is. 
And um, so basically it's good for, basically everything starts in the mind. Everything starts from our ancestors and our lineage and, um, and from trauma. And this medicine is by far the most profound reset for all of those things. Um, but, but yeah, there are many people that have chronic conditions. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of um, everything from herpes to HIV to, of course, Lyme disease, which I personally experience. Um, I think that, like, you know, the things that we think, I've had people that had, um, you know, their diabetes uh, regulated to a point that they no longer needed insulin anymore. Wow. So, um, you know, I feel like this plant has, it's like an entire medicine cabinet or an entire pharmacopoeia in one plant. Um, there are alkaloids in it that are incredibly powerful for reversing Parkinson's disease. There are, um, you know, medicinal benefits. I mean, abogaine in itself for re reversing Parkinson's. Um, but I would say, you know, there are certain people that are not obviously good candidates for this work. It's very intense. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're, if you are brand new to psychedelics, it's not necessarily the first one, unless you've had a long, uh, you know, years of, of spiritual practice like meditation, because it, it's quite the marathon. And, um, but it, it, sometimes it even will put you into a psychosis, which, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh my God, I don't want to experience that. That sounds like the worst thing ever. But um, it would do that to break an old pattern to break, you know, as Daniel Pinchbeck said in his book, Breaking Open the Head, uh -huh. to break open the head and get rid of this this old pattern. And so, um, you know, I mean, to say, what is Iboga not good for? You yeah, know, yeah. I totally it. get it. Yeah. It, it's almost like, like, what's it good for? Like, the thing that we think we want resolved is only, or, or the healing that comes from it it's sounding to me like is just a, a, a side effect of what the real transmission of Iboga offers. And I, I just remember this one time I, I took, you know, a handful of mushrooms and I was really having this attention intention, like what am I going to do for work and for money and this kind of thing. And it, it took me to this place where I was just so at peace and, and so one with everything that to even imagine I could be lacking everything, anything or needing anything was like hilarious because I just, I got it. I was like, Oh my God, I'm oneness itself. And there's nothing lacking. And it was like the byproduct of that connection with spirit. It sounds like Iboga has so much more to offer than like, Oh, will you help me with this trauma issue or whatever? It's, it sounds way more intelligent than that. Yeah. It's just, it's beyond whatever you can ask. And it, it is one of the oldest plants that exists. If you look at the anthropological evidence of all of the traditions that use plant medicine, um, specifically psychoactive plants, and you look at the type of instruments that were used, like the magongo, which is a uh, mouth um, bow. It makes like a wing, 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 wing. And oh, I love those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, 
that was probably the first instrument ever created. Like someone probably had a bow and, you know, they were hunting and then they realized that they could play it, you know, that they could they could do something with that. And um, even the harp that came later in the Bwiti tradition is very simple. It only has a few strings. I wish I had brought mine upstairs so I could show you my harp. Oh, I wish too. That's amazing. Because they use that in South America too, a lot of the tribes. They call it a rumpa, the boing, boing, boing instrument. Yes, yes. Yes, that one is a little different. I know what you're talking about. Um, but the, but the, the harp which is the Nagombi, is like a traditional harp, like the kind that you would see angels playing in heaven. Mm. It's very, very simple. And um, later in the tradition, different drums, which, you know, is kind of an, an, an older, and then lots of shakers. Like it's mm -hmm. primarily, you know, a lot of it is like shakers and uh, rattles and whisks. And uh, and then they use sometimes they use this little cowbell. <laughs> so it, it's very, very primitive. And it's interesting uh, that um, the the music itself, not to go on a tangent, but it's played in a, a polyrhythmic beat that actually balances the left and right hemisphere of the brain while at the same time regulating the heartbeat. Um, which protects the heart uh, in the journey. So the music's really important in the journey. Yeah. What's it like for you now, now that you've been on this path and now that you, you've had these experiences and you continue to work with the medicine, are, are you just like free of trauma? Is it like really good for you? Like, are you kind of in this enlightened space or do you have still have like major traumas or, or dramas and, um, you know, things to wrestle with or, or like, what's it like after having been on this path for following it like you have? Well, I would say that I think every human struggles with this because, again, we all have free will. And in every moment, we either empower our higher self or, or you know, our soul or we empower our ego. Mm. And um, it's really easy to get those two mixed up because that ego is a tricky little bugger. So tricky. And so, you know, like, for instance, during this retrograde, um, you know, I, you know, this is a time where we're going back, we're relooking at things from our past, and we're also looking at patterns that aren't in alignment with um, us being in integrity with our soul. And so, yeah, I mean, I get off base if I don't really like sometimes I'll travel too much and I won't be doing as much of my self-care and rather than it being like in the old days when you know I would do something wrong it would just be like a little tap on the shoulder like excuse me I think you shouldn't do that it would be like smack it would just be like you know time to make a shift I you know the universe is really clear when you're on this path and it's just like uh-uh, you're not doing that. And then it's like, okay, fine. And then I see, you know, I think my biggest struggle and and I and I assume that our culture, you know, may have the same issue, at least from what I've experienced with people I've worked with, is how much we just want to push and make mm -hmm. things happen rather than allowing them to come to us. Or sometimes even just right. that space of not having answers and being like, what 
And instead of just chilling and being like, okay, I'll just sit by the pool and hang out and, you know, do whatever I'm supposed to be doing, you know, self-care or whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's yeah. okay just to hang out and not like work all the time and try to make things happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, old patterns die hard. And yeah, when you have the past of being a workaholic, you know, sometimes I'll look at my calendar. My biggest, I would say my biggest issue, if I was to say anything, um, although I think I approach everything from more of an observer standpoint than a reactive state, is taking on too much. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good segue because um, in the last you know 10 minutes or so that we have, I was really curious about your work and if you could tell us about – so you do retreats, you do coaching, you do um, work with the 5-MeO-DMT, and, and, and that's what you do and that's what – that's your that's your job yeah I um yeah I I pinch myself uh because it's such a blessing uh to get to you know do this work to see people's faces before and after um I do international retreats in countries where it's legal to do the work um, and then I do a lot of advocacy projects, so projects around preservation and also spreading indigenous wisdom. For instance, I'm actually bringing um, three different tribes from Africa to Burning Man this year. So in a couple weeks, less than less, what is it like 30 days now? Mm-hmm. I'll be, um, you know, we've we've been just doing the final hustle to get visas and wow. you know. All the all the little things. You're like, taking Buiti village people to Burning Man. I can't yeah. imagine what that's going to be like for them. Yeah, and I would say that they would be kind of people that have had a little more experience, like in the outside world, and have toured before. Um, because I thought that that environment would not be responsible to bring you know people straight out of the jungle, like to right. grab some and say hey I mean it would be quite a culture shock to them and I've had lots of conversations with them in advance I'm like just want you to know that this is very hedonistic and you know we're here to anchor a different frequency and not uh-huh. that that frequency is bad but you know we're there to to bring something else and to bring some cultural diversity and um, it's not very often that um, many of the tribes from Africa leave, um, especially Ghana and Gabon, where the tribes are that um, I'm helping uh, facilitate them to come to Burning Man, um, because um, it's very hard for them to get visas to leave the country. Um, I guess, I don't know if this is the only reason, but um, there's more fraud with visas um in those countries and so um the process is just you know a lot harder but it see i mean from my experience it 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 seems a little excessively difficult um and so what what really how it affects us as a western culture at least in america is that we don't get as much exposure to african culture which i think is something that could be really healing um, if we had more more of the true culture, you know, uh, here um, in in the Western world, because it's it's hard for us to get there, and it's dangerous. Um, yeah. You know, you have risk of malaria. Right now, there's an Ebola outbreak in um, 
uh, in uh, Congo and uh, part, I think it's now touching part of Gabon as well. Um, and there's, you know, just a lot of other risks. And so not everyone is like wanting to jump on a plane and learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a shame. I, I agree totally. I think that these, these cultures really, really would or we would do re really well as a culture to experience those cultures more and have it more integrated into our way of life. Yeah. Just to have some kind of reintroduction to that sacred system, you know? Um, so can you tell us about the retreats? So um, the retreats, so one thing I've also learned because I've, I've brought different elders, um, you know, in, in, from Mexico and from other places, you know, doing other projects is that not everyone interprets their culture in a positive way rather than being, you know, really curious, like, oh, okay, you know, they have, they do something different. Let's respect that. Sometimes they can take it very personally, like, oh, I can't sit because I'm on my period. What's wrong with you? You know, like things like that where people get very upset. And um, so what we do is we do a more psycho-spiritual version of uh, two of the core medicines that um, are the nearest and dearest to my heart. So the first is Bupo alvarius, which comes from the toad. Mm -hmm. um, it's a venom secretion that contains 5-MeO-DMT when smoked. Uh, puts you into a full uh, transcendental non-dual space. Um, it's a relatively short experience in itself. Um, most of the time when you sit with someone, a facilitator with this medicine, uh, a single, what they would call a uh, ceremony or session, whatever you want to call it, can last two to three hours. Uh, so it's very short in relation to staying up all night on ayahuasca or staying up for like two days on iboga. Wow. So I created a format. Um, inspired by my connection to the Mexica lineage. I'm a moon dancer and um, really wanted to bring in the medicine of the Temez Call, also known as Sweat Lodge, um, to, to help with the purification and preparing people to work with the Bufo. So we do um, Temez Call. We do three days of ceremony with the toad. So they get three opportunities to work with the medicine. And uh, and then we do uh, ecstatic dance every morning because nice. we really want to focus on somatic clearing because it shakes up a lot of stuff in the body. Bufo is really incredible for releasing trauma that's physically stored in the body. And so it's nice to just, you know, and, and I felt like people take yoga so seriously nowadays that I wanted to have some embodiment practice that was right. a little more or um, feminine, you know, like flowing and, and not necessarily regimented. Not that yoga can't be that way. Um, and then we do a grounding Mayan cacao ceremony at the very end to kind of seal all the work in and open up the heart. And um, that I do in Tulum and Ibiza, which both, um, both uh, countries in Spain and Mexico, Toad is not scheduled. So um, I do that twice a year and they're really like special, like everything about the retreat is, is really beautiful, like a beautiful villa. 
um, that we rent in the CN Con biosphere, which is right um, in Tulum, outside of Tulum, which is totally private, and people are doing toad on the beach and wow. being run in the water afterwards it's like it's truly like heaven it's like psychedelic heaven and um and i do that because i feel that the old culture of shamanism has been around this like survivor thing like okay we're going to put you on a vision quest we're going to throw you in the woods with no food you can't shower for four days you can't even brush your teeth uh and you know you come out of that you know, cleansed and purified. But I don't think it's always necessary to have to go through all of that, eat nasty food, you know, like, you know, bland food or whatever, and um, potentially risk yourself, you know, getting parasites or things like that um, to have a transformational experience. So we create that container with a lot of integration as well, which isn't as common in the shamanic cultures because, in the tribal cultures, after you do medicine, you're back in the jungle with the tribes. So you don't need integration like you would if you're yeah. going to a city. And so we do we do a lot of integration. And then um, our iboga retreat, um, we do in a, a format that um, is inspired by the Bwiti ceremonies, but there's also a lot of pieces that we don't include that are part of the culture that some people would be turned off by, like for instance, um, animal sacrifice. I was gonna say that's probably the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and 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 if you don't understand the meaning behind it, or let's say you're vegan, which is you know very common in our culture, then that could be a quite horrifying experience. And so we're creating a more psycho-spiritual, but, but with authentic pieces of Bwiti, still with our connection to the lineages that we've been um, initiated in. Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're basically making it accessible to people who need the healing without all these different cultural, <laughs> not dogmas, but situations in place. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So I need to wrap this up because I'm having people over in a little bit to play music. But um, wow. So what's your website? How can people find you? So my website is psychedelicjourneys.com. Um, and I put up a tiny, I wouldn't say it's very impressive, but I put up a tiny page on my Burning Man project, which is oh, cool. Ancestral oh, cool. Heart. So that's my nonprofit. And um, I'm hoping as spirit guides me that I'll be doing other events where I'll be bringing other um, tribes from Africa um, and other places uh, to the U.S. Um, to share their wisdom. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about that and, and keep in touch. And gosh, I would so love to, to take part in one of these ceremonies. I just think that that'd be so amazing. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much, Christoph. It was such yeah. a blessing. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with people who might be feeling like Iboga might be for them? Do it, do it. <laughs> you know, I would say ask the universe, like ask out, like not that you're seeking outside of yourself, but to really like ask, show me 
you know, it, rather than kind of seeking, seeking it out right. and look for the signs, like look for the signs, because I think in our culture, we try to rush and find things. There are a lot of facilitators out there carrying this medicine that um, are not doing it in a safe way. And so you want to make sure that, um, you know, you know where the medicine is coming from, you know, um, what lineages, what kind of training they have, what kind of medical preparations they have, if a situation were to occur. You just want to take all the proper precautions. And other than that, if it's done in the right way, it's so safe because a lot of you know, things are kind of happening willy nilly in the psychedelic world, like, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies happening in condominiums and, you know, crazy places where maybe the energy wouldn't be right to hold that. And not saying that that's a good or bad thing, but it might have be putting other information in the field that's not healing energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if you do it in the right way, if it's done, you know, on all levels, um, it's, it's really safe. That's, that's excellent. That's beautiful. So let it come to you and, and pray and look within for that answer. Thanks so much, Tricia. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really Thank inspiring. you. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Trisha Eastman, Iboga, Healing Trauma at the Core, miracle plants that can help us to grow and heal and become more of who we're meant to be. Miracle Soup, Miracle Plants, Miracle Podcast, Miracle Time to Be Alive. I just think it's amazing. I thought it was really interesting how it's um, it's a little bit, it, how rare this plant is. It only grows in one part of the world, essentially. I really hope that um, <laughs> it can start growing elsewhere and, and continue to be used in a respectful way um, and that it can be used to help people and continue um, to reach the people who need it. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, lots of nuggets in there, huh? Healing the eating disorder, uh, the tree of good and evil, how the how the iboga that is considered the tree of good and evil. Good and evil. Um, once again, that kind of brings us back into the the previous shadow episodes um, regarding the nature of this planet and and the and the projection of our unintegrated selves. And um, interesting how iboga kind of slides in there. I I can only imagine um, what that would be like um, to have that experience. I, I really think that would be cool. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to do that. It sounds so incredible. Um, <clears throat> and then it was really neat too. Pardon me, I just had some quesadillas. Um, really neat about the, the elephant and how the, the elephant is part of the aboga tradition. And that makes me think instantly. I'm like, elephant Ganesha. You know, in the, in the Vedic tradition, we have Ganesha who's sort of the guard. Uh, he's the first deity that is prayed to when you're doing some kind of a ritual or puja in the Vedic tradition. And he's said to sort of guard the entrance of the gods and, and you pray to him to remove the obstacles that are in your way from receiving the, the blessings of spirit. So how cool is it that the elephant <clears throat> works with the aboga and kind of helps it and is sort of connected in some way? I think that's really amazing. Um, 
Yeah. Free will. I love how Trisha keeps talking, kept mentioning the, the choice, but the, the choice, um, between the higher self and the ego, uh, that we have free will that yes, we can take this medicine and we can get these blessings and these teachings. And it's up to us to make the choices from there. Like nothing is going to just miraculously heal us. Although it did sound like it did that, like how she was saying the desire for alcohol just gone. The desire people stop biting their nails. People stop just the desire for opiates is just totally gone. The whole, um, neuro system is completely reset. Wow. I mean, that, that, that sounds <clears throat> pretty phenomenal. And always also makes me think like if something like this exists, then why isn't it readily available? Why haven't they figured out how to, uh, cultivate it and, and get it to the masses. And I can only think that there's obviously a reason that there are powers on this planet that don't want people to be healed. You know, there's so much money in addiction. Think how many billions, if not trillions of dollars are, are being made by people's suffering and sickness in the opioid epidemic alone. But I mean, not to mention the junk food industry and the diabetes and the, the kinds of crappy food that people are eating and the lack of exercise and the constant bombardment of negative media propaganda, um, the the widespread, um, you know, pushing of, of alcohol to be consumed. I mean, God, it's on billboards, it's on commercials, like drink, drink, uh, smoking cigarettes, all these things. And then the, you know, all the, do the dominance of pharmaceuticals where there are proven remedies across the board, which are known to help um, with so many of these diseases, which are only being compounded with with Western medicines um, prescriptions. So it's like, gosh, man, these cures exist. These remedies exist. So if you don't get anything else out of this podcast, maybe just kind of keep that in your mind. There's a solution to my problem. There's something out there that can help me. And um, if not, maybe not even necessarily out there, it's it's inside of us, right? And that's what these, that's been my experience with uh, the psychedelics and the plant medicines that it's always, and even with a, a living guru, uh, you know, it's always pointing us back to this power within. It's always showing us um, the power of free will, the power of our choice, the power that we have as individuals to create and to focus our attention and to um, manifest a better reality and a better life for ourselves. So, yeah, awesome. Who wants to do Iowa? Who wants to do a boga? Raise your hands. Who wants to go to the retreat in Costa Rica um, in March? Raise your hand. That would be so awesome. I totally raise my hand for both of those things, by the way. So, yeah, anyway, um, got some cool interviews coming up. Um, we're going to shift into a course of miracles thread, see where that leads. Oh, and then I just scheduled, um, a podcast as well with some, with some, um, practitioners who work with family constellations. And we're going to be talking about the inherited family trauma and how to, uh, work with that and how to see how those patterns from our, our ancestors, our grandparents, our parents, our great grandparents, how they are affecting our life and how we can, um, initiate healing resolution in that way. So yeah, this golden thread, this, 
this uh, yellow brick road, if you will, continues to get more and more fascinating. I appreciate all of you for joining me on this journey. I think it's so much fun and it's bringing me so much um, value in life. So I'm hoping that that is transmitted to to you as well. Um, on that note, if you haven't subscribed already, please do. I would love to, um, once again, build the momentum so that this podcast can reach people far and, ri- far and wide, and so this conversation can continue to grow and flourish and impact people's lives and uh, transform people's minds so that we can have a good future for our children. I just think that that is so important. Let's think about these kids, you know, coming up. I have a little daughter. She's 15. I've got nieces and nephews. I see kids all around. Um, let's do the work now so that we don't have to pass on this um, this nightmare to them. You know, we can give them something a little bit better. I think that's important. All right, any questions, comments, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you have someone you'd like to recommend, please leave a comment below or email me. Uh, I'm leaving my email address in the show notes um, as well as Trisha's website. So go on, keep on keeping on and um, live life the best. I, I really appreciate you tuning in today. All right, until next time, aloha. <laughs>